There are lots of lousy businesses, and there's lots of wonderful businesses. It's the art and science of money. My job has been to try and figure out which is which. It's Hi-Fi Radio from the Global News Radio Studios in Toronto with Hi-Fi Portfolio Managers. Here's Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle. Uh, good morning. Welcome back. Hi-Fi Radio, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Jack Hartle, producer of the show, Wolfgang Klein, your host. And, well, we got ourselves a festive lineup as the month of December unfolds. <clears throat> Justin and Courtney from BDO, our favorite tax accountants, are here to help us talk seasonal tax and uh, changes, of course, to the uh, tax legislation specific to small private businesses in Canada. Uh, we're then going to take a uh, trip through the well, marijuana patch, shall I say, with Bruce, Bruce Litton, uh, President and CEO of Canopy Growth, uh, discussing with us, of course, of when it's going to become legal and, uh, yeah, what to look forward to. Uh, followed by Amos Nadler, professor again, coming back by popular demand, professor at Western in behavioral finance. You are your own worst enemy. We have to keep those emotions in check, and he's going to help us do just that. But let's start the show off with a talk of tax. Uh, Justin, Courtney, thank you again for coming into the studio, back by popular demand. Very timely. Uh, so please, uh, where is Ottawa at with taxing small business owners and specifically uh, the income sh uh, sprinkling uh, uh, concern? Well, good morning, Toronto. Good morning, Wolf. Jack, it's great to be on the show. Thank you. Um, so we're going to talk a bit about this week's um, finance guidance. So they came out with some further information on how the tax on split income is going to work and what types of dividends are actually going to be subject to the new rules. So it really seems like their focus is actually going to be on professional corporations, doctors, dentists. That's really who's going to be impacted by the new rules. Um, they've come out and high level said they're not going to go after people over the age of 65, so they can still generally split their income. And mainly it's going to be students in university who are getting dividends paid out of a parent's corporation that they're going after. Yeah. So, so you said professional corporations, but not small businesses? Not necessarily small businesses. So they've come out and basically said if a child is actually working in the business more than 20 hours a week um, throughout the year or any of the last five years, then they can actually split that income. They've also said if the child owns more than 10% of the shares, so that's votes and value of the corporation, they can still split income that way. So really they're so not- So split income, so at that point, if the child owns 10% of the company but doesn't work, they can still allocate income towards the child and hence reduce their own tax bill. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. So um, so business owners should like that. Yeah, so, really that's, a, that's a nice stocking stuffer. <laughs> <laughs> so getting getting back to the seniors there, um, is it just existing seniors that are grandfathered or is it once you reach the <laughs> age of 65, <laughs> then you get that grandfather or you're, you're included as well? How does that work? Yeah, once, uh, once you reach the age of 65. And I think what they're trying to do there is go hand in hand with the current pension splitting rules. So they're trying to make it fair. And I think... When these rules initially came out in the summer, it, it was it was dramatic. Uh, we saw these as probably the most significant tax changes maybe ever, or at least since 1972. There was a lot of pushback, a lot of feedback from the community, 
uh, from our firm, from BDO, um, you know, advising as to the, the, the implications of these changes. And it looks like they've actually listened um, as, as some of the, uh, we'll call it, they call it new bright line tests that they've introduced. We see this as an opportunity to still be able to income split uh, in the scenarios that Courtney mentioned to us before. So, so we see this as a good thing. Very, very positive. Very, very. So let's get now then back down to professional corps because professional corps are a newer type of a corporation that once didn't exist. Uh, and, and the professional community said, wait a minute, we should be allowed to incorporate and, and participate in corporate type tax structure. So what's going to happen to them now? So really, they're saying that professional corporations, you can only split your income if um, your family members are actually involved in the business. So it'll still fall under the, the salary type rules. So mm. those kind of labor contribution. So, so if you're a lawyer and, you're, and your spouse is not a lawyer, obviously, you're, obviously the spouse would not be practicing and therefore they can't split that income anymore. It's prior to they could. Yep. And well, even for <clears> myself or for us, right, as, as accountants, this actually directly would impact us. From an income splitting perspective, as we would have professional corporations as accountants, as well, right. you can have a professional corporation uh, as a yeah, partner. Yeah, basically, professional firm. courts were for doctors, accountants, lawyers, lawyers. who else? Dentists. 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 Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. right. But for the, the, a small manufacturer or an owner of a couple of A&W franchises, uh, the new legislation does not affect them. It, it potentially would not affect them. Potentially, They could right. still fall into the rules, but there's more leniency now depending on the age of their children or spouses in terms of the class of shares that they hold, as Courtney mentioned, in terms of you know still having the the ability to income split, and we see that as a as as, as a positive change. So, so the, for the financial planning that you've done around these professional corps in the past, how are you guys dealing with that now, and then also going forward? That, that's a great question, and I think for the current year, we're really looking at these scenarios and trying to income split as much as possible in the current year. So paying dividends to family members who may or may not hold, say, a non-voting class of shares, depending on the professional corporation and depending on, you know, the legal bodies in terms of who can hold shares. We're recommending, you know, income splitting to the current year uh, as much as possible. For 2017, for, you're talking for, about. For 2017. So really for the next two weeks, if you have not done so already, uh, we're really looking at doing that now uh, to benefit you, you know, take one last kick at the can per se, from an income splitting And then for 2018, are they retroactive or is it uh, the, the new tax policies in place as of Gen 1? So they've actually allowed for, um, until December 31st of 2018, they're allowing us to restructure some of these businesses that might have been caught under the rules um, that haven't been set up appropriately. So one of the most important things a small business owner can do or professional corp is talk to the professionals that you rely on yeah, as soon exactly. as possible, basically. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there'll be a little le- le- leniency in terms of what Courtney said uh, to, to adjust or change some of these structures in 2018 to facilitate the income splitting, which it, you know, is a tremendous tax advantage if you can fall into these uh, categories. Yeah, very timely. Well, look, uh, we got to pay the man around here. Uh, so give us a couple minutes. And when we get back, we are going to talk a little bit more about tax and from a personal perspective, why it's so important and beneficial to give to charity right after this. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. In a chlorine tank, okay? And there used to be a way to stick it to the man. It was called rock and roll. But guess what? Oh, no. The man ruined that, too, with a little thing called MTV! So don't waste your time trying to make anything cool or pure or awesome because the man's just going to call you a fat, washed-up loser and crush your soul. So do yourselves a favor and just give up! Now, back to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. 
Ah, little Jack Black, School of Rock. What a great clip it was. Very appropriate for our guests, Courtney and Justin from BDO, high-level accountants who can help us both at the corporate level and the personal level. Uh, so just got a little tax piece here from uh, my accountant and uh, so some of the tax matters for 2017, the children's fitness tax credit eliminated, the Ontario Healthy Home Renovation Tax credit eliminated, more eliminations than additions here. It's like they take and take and take, and they want to continue to take and, well, give it to the man. So how can you help the audience take it from the man? Can you? Any ideas that we can take it back from the man? Yeah, so I think Justin's going to talk a bit about how donations have worked, which is timely with the Christmas season, nice. holiday season, and uh, people are looking to give a little extra this time of year. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a strategy, uh, somewhat of a philanthropic strategy in terms of uh, what we'd recommend for taxpayers or clients, uh, you know, in terms of if you want to give back, uh, gift giving donations is a very effective way to reduce both your personal uh, and your corporate tax. Okay, so so these work in a variety of different ways. A personal donation uh, would entitle you to a tax credit and use a good example before Wolf in terms of very high level. If you donate $100,000, you know, it could it could be worth uh, approximately half of that in terms of tax savings. That's a very high level in terms of the tangible benefit. Yeah, because my, my point to that, is, yeah. uh, Justin, is if you give a small amount, uh, the amount of benefit you get back from the government is very, very small. In other words, I think if you give like $500 donation or $100 donation, uh, the tax benefit is 10 or 20%, isn't it? Well, uh, I think the total corporate tax credit actually... Uh, personal and, or sorry, federally and Ontario would be around forty-seven percent. No, but if you give, if you make a small donation under two hundred bucks. Oh I'm, yeah, it's 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 it is smaller. It's first very very bucks. small. We're so, talking about yeah. No, I, that's my my, my yeah. point about about charitable giving is actually you want to give more because you will incrementally get back more from a tax point of view. Uh, and again, put aside all the wonderful like, the philanthropic work you did. So don't don't give small, give big is the point I want to make here. Yeah, and, uh, and there's an actual little <clears> bit of a benefit. We get this question from clients a lot. You know, should I give a gift personally? Uh, should I take money out of my corporation and do a gift in, in that manner? Mm -hmm. Or should I give the gift through my corporation? And, and one strategy we'd recommend you to look at is actually if you have a corporation and if you have securities in your corporation with large accrued gains, mm -hmm. we'd actually recommend gifting those securities. And the benefit to gifting those securities is not only do you get the donation benefit within your corporation, but but you do not you're not taxed on that on that accrued capital gain of the security that you're gifting. Correct. So, so let's say you're gifting Apple that has a cost of a hundred, you know, and a fair value of a thousand. Well, that accrued gain of nine hundred dollars in that example, you're not going to pay tax on. But in addition to that, you can actually withdraw that nine hundred dollars from your corporation tax free through the capital dividend account. So very kind of an effective, sneaky little tax strategy. If you're thinking of gifting, uh, you know, through a philanthropic, if that's the type of motivation that you have. But you know, if you want to save some tax you have that excess cash, you have those securities with large gains, that's really the preferred route. Let, let me ask gains. you, let's just say you have a personal account and you have a corporate account and you have gains in both accounts. Uh, net neutral or beneficial take out of one or the other? Significantly beneficial to give, give that gift of securities within your corporation. I would say significantly. Is that right? Absolutely. Eh? And that's a common misconception with taxpayers saying, you know, let's just give it personally. We'll say, you know, we'll say, um, you know, do that gift through your corporation, through a gift of securities, you know, with a large accrued gain. Hmm. So if, if I were to gift a security, uh, let's just say I bought uh, a stock at 10 bucks, it's now worth 100. Uh, so I have a $90 capital gain. Uh, so I, if I gift that $100 security to charity, um, I'm going to receive a $50, $50 benefit, correct? Roughly 50% Well, it's benefit. a little bit different in a company. In the corporation, the corporation gets a deduction 
for that gift. So the corporation will get a deduction of whatever that gift amount is. In the, the, mark, the market value of correct. it. Correct. And mm-hmm. in addition to that deduction, uh, the accrued capital gain, that $90 in your example, you won't pay tax on. And through the mechanisms of the capital dividend account, you can actually withdraw that cash tax-free from your corporation. So you, you almost get a double benefit by giving that gift through your company as opposed to giving it personally. Very, very intelligent. Did not know that. I, I do know from a personal point of view, we've had clients, rather than make a cash donation, give certificates from their personal account. And again, that accrued capital gain they never pay tax on, and the amount that they receive for the uh, 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 charitable giving credit worked out to be the, the, the market value, less the commission in terms of selling the stock when, when he received the, the charity's hand. Just, uh, and I, I forewarn you, if you do give security to a charity, someone on the other end is going to sell that security for you. That's going to mark the market value of it, but there'll be a small commission on that, on that other end. So don't be alarmed. It's, it's, it's the cost of doing business that way, correct? That's correct. And, uh, you know, at this point in the market cycle, we're seeing a lot more of it. And I think the reason why we're seeing it, obviously, is because people have accrued these massive gains, whether in corporate accounts or personal account or corporate or personal, and they don't want to pay the tax bill. Right. So it, 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 uh, it's a win win situation. No, we have to get this. We have to get the charitable giving done by December 31st. Uh, and I know charities have a huge influx of cash coming in right now. But I can ask you now, Jack, because you've actually processed this for a few clients of ours. Uh, could clients still receive a certificate if they were to call us up on Monday? and get this processed by year end? Or how long does it take to actually get a certificate in the hands of the charity? Yeah, if it's done within a, a large institution, so from us to a, a large bank, it's all done electronically. So, you know, within two days, they'd be getting the certificate as long as they, they book it. It should be fine. Mm-hmm. But again, you've got some holidays coming up, so obviously getting it done, the sooner the better. Yeah, the sooner the better for sure. Right. But uh, you can get it done relatively quickly. They'll be uh, be able to do it quicker once they get the blockchain going. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're not going to be talking about blockchain in our next interview, but we will be talking about legal cannabis with Bruce Litton from Canopy. It's going to be a great interview, so charge up your Java and get set for a talk about weed right after this. Let's take a break. But after, Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Listening to Hi Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Good morning, Hi Fi Radio, Global News Radio 640 Toronto. A little Breaking Bad intro, eh? Walter White, what a character. Well, we have a different sort in the studio. He's no Walter White, but, well, well maybe he wanted to be. Uh, Bruce Litton, uh, President and CEO of Canopy Growth, uh, stock symbol weed. Yeah, How good, are you, Bruce? Good morning to that one. I'm great. How are you? <laughs> yeah, good. Thank you. Very kindly. Hey, apparently I've, I've been doing some research, some research, academic research on marijuana. And apparently if you like to smoke weed in the morning, sativa is what you want, not indica. indica wow. Indica at night, uh, sativa during the day. Yeah. And then life gets complicated because there's a lot of crossbreeds. So now what do you do? That's the middle of the day, I guess. <laughs> We're not going to go there. You know what I do want to talk to you about is product. Um, you know, the, the industry is going to change. Um, you know, if rec or when rec becomes legal, um, there is not going to be people necessarily smoking joints. Yeah. Uh, there will be, I think, I'm sure many people continue to smoke joints, old school people, but there's a lot of new product coming to market. Uh, and you're at the forefront of product coming to market so much 
So that constellation, uh, the purveyors of Corona, uh, have put take a 10% stake in your company. That was big, big news, Bruce, and you should be very proud of yourself for that. Yeah, I know. I think um, it would have been a lot less costly for them to buy 10% than anybody else, but they get even a lot less. And so I think what you're going to find is uh, marijuana isn't actually going to be sold or consumed three, four, five years from now, really as a, a joint, because it's going to become an ingredient. And when I say an ingredient, um, in a bottle with uh, the right liquids, the right flavorings, it can be a no-calorie intoxicant. So you can have Friday night and wake up this morning and not be a bit fatter. Um, you can end up having um, very little drug-on-drug interaction. So suppose the person's um, on some kind of medication, could be for uh, blood pressure. Now they can have that, and they don't have to think about the crossover between alcohol and that medication. And so what you're going to find is um, growing marijuana is like growing an ingredient. Extracting the oils is turning it into something that becomes a formulation. And that's when it gets really interesting. That's where um, the people who make opioids start getting worried. It's where the people who make alcohol have to start thinking about their competitor being this. And um, it won't be very long. It'll start in Canada, but I think you're going to find the disruption goes around the globe first in medical. And uh, I bet the liquor store uh, wants to run this for a reason, right? This is not something where you want to say, give that business to somebody else because it could be you know, very disruptive to the underlying liquor business. Look, if you're just waking up and getting your cup of coffee or doing whatever you're doing, uh, Bruce Litton is on the line, uh, president, founder of Canopy Growth, Canada's largest, I believe, uh, uh, legal mar- or medical marijuana producer. Is that correct? Well, it, the way I say it is we're the biggest marijuana producer in the world that publishes our address. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that's a, it's a fairly well-understood meaning. Let's talk about other product uh, that uh, the industry is, shall I say, creating or concocting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm told that out in California, a, a, a big demand product are these pens uh, where mm-hmm. there is, I guess, some THC, some ingredient, cannabinoids or whatever else they put inside the pen and it, it, a little battery and it ignites and yeah. you get a couple of hundred hits off of it, apparently. Well, so what they're trying to do is it's, um, and you'll see the people around Toronto, right? Like if you see people who are using- well, I see people vape, I see a big yeah, massive va- cloud of so vape. vaping. It's unbelievable. Vaping is the same thing. The pen it's like vaping. A sm- so like, a sm- like these smoke machines. Yeah, like so it's <laughs> essentially- it's, it's No, they're huge, those vape. But, but this isn't the same, obviously. Well, but it's like a heat, not burn. And so what people are going to get is they get the effect of cannabis without fu- starting a fire of the plant. And the reason that makes a lot of sense is you can now start to actually turn it into a controlled quantity. And if you, instead of thinking about the person walking uh, up Young Street vaping, if you thought about the person who wakes up this morning and they have um, some form of a chronic illness, could be uh, Parkinson's, could be a type of uh, uh, arthritis, and they need to get moving, they need to become mobile, um, you could actually picture that becoming a medical process by which they would have an inhalable ingredient, which is not burning, mm-hmm. it's just um, a, a competitor to taking a pill, which has almost instant onset, meaning that you could yep. start moving. So that's one form of it. See, could I, if, I, if I may interrupt you, that instant onset, because in, in my academic research yep. I've been doing on product, uh, when it comes to consuming as opposed to smoking the product, uh, I've seen charts. I think it was on Afria's website where I saw this on their charts. And, and they show you the delayed effect when you consume it, ingest it, in other words. Uh, and that, that would potentially cause concern for individuals. In other words, you don't know how effective the effect will be. Uh, you don't know when it's going to kick in. Uh, and it, maybe if it's delayed kicking, you consume more and more, and then all of a sudden, whammo. Uh, well, I, I think that's the case if you make unsophisticated products. And so um, how ingestible something is or how rapidly it affects you is something called bioavailability. And so um, probably the chart's uh, correct if you have something simple. But there's ways to make this product so that if it was in a liquid format and you have, were having sipping of it, they would have about the same onset or effect as if you were sipping wine. 
And so that's where we're going with that kind of category. When you inhale cannabis, doesn't matter if you burn it or inhale the, the oils we were talking about, that's where it happens really rapidly and has a shorter duration. And so they both have effect, um, I think, in a way, if you think medically, that person I described having to get moving in the morning, they want something right away. Right. But then suppose um, at the end of the day, you're using it as a sleep uh, aid. You may want something that hangs out for uh, three, four, five, six hours, not one hour. Mm-hmm. And so there's a bunch of ways that you're going to mix and match. Interesting. Um, but that's going to mean huge demand. Now, let me ask you something else again uh, in part of our research here. Uh, THC is the component that gets you high. Yep. CBDs are different. Yeah, so there's two things. Uh, THC, once you activate it with heat, it becomes psychoactive. CBD is not psychoactive. It is more neurological calming. So um, a combination of the both might be very effective for someone with Parkinson's who's got tremor, uh, some pain. And there's been no really great research to isolate how does one work without the other. So what you're going to find is over the next three to five years, Canada leads the world in how to put combinations of these active ingredients and all the others. There's now 98 more we didn't talk about inside of cannabis. And so when you start to take them apart and put them back together differently, you're probably going to have very disruptive products. Because I, I was told about some of these cannabis p- pills that are taken. They've stripped the THC right out. Yeah. Uh, they, they've let the CBDs in. Fantastic for people, for example, with hip uh, pain and discomfort. But look, we're, we're yeah. going to continue on the journey of legalized marijuana after we pay the man, Bruce. Stay, okay. stand by. Listen, we're going to take a break, but when we come back, more money talk. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Get up, stand up, stand up for your right. Get up, stand up, stand up for your right. Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Well, welcome back. Little Bob Mali to wake us all up. Yes, Bruce Litton, he stood up for his right to grow <laughs> marijuana. Legally, of course. Hey, let me ask you, Bruce, so how did you get into this business? How did you acquire your first license, and when did that occur? How ahead of the curve were you, my friend? Well, it's almost your fault, right? Um, in that, uh, it was I blame everything on Jack, first of all. It, it, it was, it was the media. So He's the producer. <laughs> in about 2012, uh, it was pretty evident that the police chiefs of Canada were not happy with the, cu- the current regulations. I didn't know the current regulations. I started reading about them and went, wow. So people- sorry, were, what, what were you doing in 2012? So I, 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 sort of what I'm still doing, which is also having a technology company. So I, I'm a thought, tech yeah. guy and uh, my early boss, first mentor was a guy named Sir Terrence Matthews, who's only started about 100 high tech companies. And uh, so I was in that world. And uh, as I was reading about this, um, it was evident that some people had gone to the Supreme Court in 2001, which made Canada the second place on the planet to have legal marijuana. Right, medical. And, medical well, right. but it was legal, right? You yeah, could actually yeah, legally get it. And right. so Mr. Trudeau is only expanding legal. He's not introducing legal. Mm-hmm. Um, but what happened is the people who won um, were granted the right to have cannabis. And because the government had none, they said, well, why don't you grow it yourself? And that turned into an interesting outcome uh, where there were a lot of people who were ill who were growing cannabis. And there were a lot of people who were growing cannabis because it was probably a very good way not to go to jail because you were actually growing it medically. You just happened to have like a thousand times more plants than you were allowed to. <laughs> um, and so I thought at that time, let's see, Harper's in charge. Cops don't like this. Harper needs to make the cops happy because the people who like Harper like the cops. And so with that perspective, I said, let's dig in. And it was really evident what they were going to do is create a requirement to grow cannabis and control it. So really what it turned backwards to is I am not in the cannabis growing business as far as my regulators are concerned. What I'm in is the cannabis not losing business. They really inspect to make sure that you're not 
misplacing any of that you have a really comprehensive chain of custody right that um, if someone in uh, Winnipeg had an adverse reaction to a product we shipped to them from day one we had the ability with three keystrokes in four seconds to be able to tell you where every similar product is in our inventory system in shipment or every address that it's at Wow and so the effect of that is that we actually started to have a really good supply chain which is pretty remarkable because I suspect Mr. Harper did not intend to fully enable Mr. Trudeau to fulfill his election promise, which is if you elect me, I will give you access to cannabis as an adult, and you can buy it in a store called the CCBO. Um, but if Harper hadn't created this really well-structured uh, supply chain, there's no way in the time frame available they would have been able to do this. So in a sense, it's kind of a cross-party thing really? that's happening. So, really? Yeah. So well, if, if you don't like it, blame the conservatives. If you need to do, well, maybe you want to thank the conservatives. Yeah. But I say, does Harper even know that he actually implemented this whole program? Well, I think we just told him. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I, I think it's a conspiracy, guys. They, they have a conspiracy show here on six forty. They, they want to pick up on this. Way. Have you no, actually I, seen I Harper and Trudeau in the same picture? Probably they could be the same guy. I don't even know. But fair um, enough. Fair enough. But no, I, so, I saw them at the four twenty rally. Okay. Um, <laughs> but what I, I, want, I want to shift gears here with you, Bruce. Uh, you, you just you just got yourself now uh, a license in Newfoundland. We did well a license. So what we had is each of the provinces have the obligations to sell the cannabis, and a big problem is if you don't connect to have some, you'll have none to sell. And so we structured an arrangement where we will provide about 8,000 kilograms a year for the next two years to Newfoundland. And in exchange for uh, committing that portion... 8,000 kilos now. Yeah, yeah bye. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to build a facility that's 150,000 square feet. Uh, we're going to have four retail stores out of however many they want to have. And as we deploy the capital and sell the product growing in that jurisdiction, we'll recover our invested capital over the next 15 years. And so it's actually a much better system than a lot of the provinces have done in the past where they give you the money up front and then the businesses never do the work. Instead, we got to do all the work and we get to recover at an increased uh, profit. But the, the nice part is if you build a building and you have to do the product, you need to hire about 150 people. And so uh, I think it was well played on their part, but it's also worked really well for us because we now have the first licensed retail locations that a private sector company can have in the world or in Canada are ours. How long will it take you to get set up in Newfoundland and actually start producing your first plant? Uh, we'll have it up by February 19th. February 19th, so just, just over a wow. year. Yep. Wow. So how, how about the other provinces that you're looking at? So uh, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba. It sounds like the producers can actually distribute. Uh, that's what I'm understanding. Is that correct? Well, theoretical. Um, so yeah. each of the provinces are doing their own thing because this is Canada. Right. Um, uh, Alberta is going to be all private sector, and a whole bunch of people want to have the private sector stores. So the liquor guys want to get the, the chance to sell marijuana because if you're not buying liquor, you're probably buying marijuana. Uh, each of you the provinces have. I hear you. Um, <laughs> and so they're going to have Manitoba's having an RFP. Each Smokes of them. Or booze. Yeah, everybody's doing their different thing. Uh, yeah. Quebec and Ontario are the fully uh, controlled by the public sector. Right. And uh, I think what you're going to find is it's a big experiment. It's day one in July, and look at it over the next three years. What it'll probably become is quite rapidly changed to being a much bigger thing. When will day, when, sorry, when will day one be? I sure hope it's not July 1. Of course. Because I like Canada Day. I don't want to replace it with Cannabis Day. I said day. July 4th on BNN. They're yeah. all over me. No. So I think <laughs> what you'll find is they're going to have the regulations in place and you'll have different provinces kicking it off at different dates. So you, I would say you touched on the LCBO there. Um, from what we hear, it's, there's going to be a lot of shortages uh, in Ontario. Um, what do you think? I, I don't think so. So the estimated amount of product that's needed if you're going to get rid of the black market on day one is about 700,000 kilograms. Mm -hmm. But the black market makes all kinds of products we can't make. So they make those vape pens that you know were described. They make edibles 
edibles are gummy bears. We're not making any of that stuff. They make uh, all kinds of products. So we probably line up against the black market at about 30, 35% of what they make. So we probably need about 250 to 300,000 kilograms for Canada. And if you look at the current production platform across the country by that time, I think we'll be okay. Where you may end up is a mismatch and maybe one province has too much, one has too little. Right. Uh, but I don't think it's going to be uh, you know, a real chronic, to use the word, shortage. And what you're going to see in 2019 is more products being implemented, but also much more production. And so, you know, well, they, if there is a shortage, I'm sure the black market will make it up. Yeah, right? listen, the black market's going to do fine. They're just going to see their business erode year on year. And it's not going to be just about whether or not the LCBO has it or their CCBO. Um, there's a bunch of provisions that make producing a bunch of cannabis more and more difficult and illegal. And uh, the reason people should be a bit concerned about it is, you know, not all cannabis gets uh, produced cleanly. So you'll say, well, I don't really worry about sprays or whatever. Well, I don't know. I think that if I did a test and I could show you that a significant percentage of the time there was fecal chloroform on the product, and I really think you're going to see people migrate for reasons that are not driven by uh, price. That's a whole uh, brand strategy for you, I'm sure. That's right? the consistency. It's I huge. keep using that line. People are going to eventually huge. recognize that there is a reason you buy, and it's not only about price. It's brands, it's quality, it's safety. And this ain't no fecal matter, my friend. <laughs> Bruce Litton, President CEO of Canopy, an absolute pioneer and pleasure. And, well, no cousin to Walter White. Uh, he's too busy running his business. Coming up next, we're going to move from weed to behavioral finance. How you feeling now? And how does that affect your performance in the market? Not so good. So we're going to help you with just that. Amos Nadler, professor at Western, right after this. Making money is the best. So how do you make more money? Come on back after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Yeah, good morning. Hi-Fi Radio, Global News Radio, 640 in Toronto. Who doesn't like Mick Jagger, eh? I don't know how he could sing that song so high. Maybe that's what he was. I don't know. And we just had Canopy Growth on. Could have asked Bruce Litton that question. But he's gone. And instead, it is all about emotional control when it comes to running money. And as such, we went back to university this morning to get the professor out of bed, uh, Amos Nadler. He's a professor at Western Ivy League business school and he specializes in behavioral finance uh amos good morning to you and thank you once again graciously for joining us on hi-fi radio uh good morning it is uh great to be here good so, to see you guys uh, it's good to see you again too so uh, just just to repeat last week's quotation sir isaac newton said he could calculate the movement of heavenly bodies my friend but not the madness of crowds and jack and i are seeing the madness firsthand in you know what bitcoin what is it, about $18,000 in American funds? I would say it's uh, not just Bitcoin, Wolf. You got the Ethereum going, Bitcoin Cash. It's crypto, uh, cryptomania. I was going to get to that. Sorry, Wolf. I was getting there. <laughs> I was to start with Bitcoin. But Jack filled in the blanks there. In fact, there's about 1,000 cryptocurrencies out there, uh, yet the mania continues. So uh, let's get an emotional check here. Uh, real uh, pockets of air, a bubble extraordinaire, which I believe uh, fill us in. What's going on in the psyche of those who are buying and selling Bitcoin. Well, if I was to get into the psyche play place, financial psychologists, I would say that people of all levels of sophistication, everyday people, including investors, are getting excited about the rising prices that are going on. And they want to jump in. They don't want to miss out. So the, the term the kids use, you know, FOMO, fear of missing out, it drives behavior. You mentioned bubble, use that word. So sometimes it's difficult to know whether something is a bubble or not at the time. 
because the, the price is higher than the fundamental value. Over long periods of time, you can say it's a bubble, especially in retrospect, you can be very clear that it's a bubble. Now, when we talk about what value is, you know, we talk about whether it's a tech bubble of the, of the late 90s or we talk about other things. Things have a value, but what is the value of Bitcoin? It's supposed to be a store of value, a way of communicating uh, you know, uh, assets, but it, really the issue here is that that does not have a fundamental value. So if you're weighing in saying this is a bubble, you'd say that's probably true, that, it's, that it, the price is in excess of its actual fundamental value. So there, there, there's two categories, I guess, of biases, two broad categories from my understanding. One's emotional, mm-hmm. the other one's cognitive blind spots people mm-hmm. don't even know that they're they're just ingrained in them so is this an emotional bias that you're seeing would you say uh, overall the fear of missing out um the, the fear that their neighbors are getting rich that type of a bias absolutely i think that that's something that uh you, we see in different areas of of life's finance in particular you see something that's that's appreciating you want to jump on the bandwagon the problem is that people even if they do participate they won't probably sell at the right time there's lack of discipline going into it so i think it's both an emotional thing i would feel bad you call it regret aversion i would regret if I didn't participate but then they don't the blind spot is even if it does appreciate they won't sell it and they'll stay on and who knows what will happen after part of regret aversion is also just the fear of making a bad financial decision too not just missing out is that correct yeah absolutely I think what drives people towards the side of buy is when it keeps going north and they they start to feel that you know that this may decrease in the future but currently I have an opportunity a window to make money and I think that drives them stronger than the, yeah. the actual that greater fool thinking. theory you were talking about right. last, greater year, fool. last week so, so here's one uh, in, in the textbook that Jack handed to me. <clears throat> Sex Matters, Gender and Mutual Funds, Department of Finance, University of Cologne, Germany, November 2005. So gender biases. So here, women tend to be susceptible to, for example, you're just talking about regret aversion bias uh, versus men. They have cognitive dissonance bias. Cognitive dissonance, they just don't believe the fact that it's true. Is that what it is? <laughs> I don't know. That's where we got the professor in the studio. So please uh, share with us then, what is regret aversion bias and why are women more susceptible to it than men. Where good aversion bias is simply you see something come up and you imagine a future where you didn't do that thing and you regret not doing that thing, which then drives you to do it. So you imagine a future state and you say, I would, I would feel terrible had I not done that. And so you, the aversion to that state of regret pushes you towards action. So in other words, if you didn't buy the first marijuana stock, when the second one comes along, regret aversion is going to force women into buying it? So women seem to display this more in that paper uh, shows that. However, both both men and women have that trait. But yeah, men and women uh, trade very differently and have biases that work uh, differently uh, towards driving their behavior. But here it says men have a loss aversion bias. Uh, I, th- I think all of us have a loss aversion bias. Uh, so why would men have more of a loss aversion bias? I think they just don't want to admit that they're wrong a lot of times. Ah. And we see that. With, it's true. I, I'm not saying it's not true. I think it makes a lot and of the, sense. And that gets into the overconfidence bias that men have too. No, but but no, women have an endowment bias, Jack. Well, we we, we could throw on biases <laughs> yeah. you know, all we want. But like to look at overconfidence, I'm glad you mentioned that. That is like yeah. one of the key characteristics of guys. Again, sorry to throw all us males under the bus, but we display it at a much, much higher amplitude than women. We're, we're more confident of our decisions. We're more confident of the data underlying our decisions and drives us to behavior that really distinguishes gender uh, you seem differences. very confident in what you're saying to us right now <laughs> this, is, All right. this so is true we're going to take a break Amos but please uh, stay tuned folks we've got a professor from Western in the house who is helping us with our emotional biases and our loss of virgin biases I want the endowment myself but I think I have to work instead stay tuned right after this more coming stay with us there's more shows still to come you're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto
Oh yeah, mind games and money. They go hand in hand, and yet, boy oh boy, I think they can be quite evil. See, it's interesting, because if you overtrade like a bar of soap, your portfolio shall get smaller. So the key is that balance between don't let it buy, hold, and mold, but don't let it become a bar of soap. And that's why we have Amos Nadler, professor from Behavioral Finance, in the studios to help us get set up for 2018, help us be better investors, better traders, better speculators, call it what you want. It's all about how can we make more money and keeping yourself in check. So please, help us out. Absolutely. I think uh, starting the new year with uh, a fresh idea, with fresh commitments to yourself to having a good financial future, I think starts with having a plan. And that starts not just with your equities or maybe your fixed income, whatever assets you may hold. It's also your everyday spending. So our excess money is what we invest. But if we have more money to invest, I think that's a good place to start. So we can get into how we invest. But let's start for just a moment about the issues that people have in just not spending all their money on other things. So we have present bias. It's one of the strongest issues that people deal with. We like present, the present bias. Like Christmas presents. Uh, that's interesting, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's part of the problem. Part of the problem. Present meaning right here, right like, now. If you buy me that that iPhone X, that's like eighteen hundred bucks out of your budget. They're yeah. Like, what's so so your basically, you're budget? placing more value on something today as opposed to in the future. Absolutely. That's one of the the most strong and persistent behavioral biases that we have. We're, we're averse to risk, but we like things right here, right in front of us because the things in the future are unknown. It's hard to really experience utility, experience pleasure of something that you do not yet own. And so, one of the things that's it's part of the human condition. And Retail, the way I would say retailers are highly aware of this too, oh, and, and they take advantage of it. Absolutely. We want to trigger instantaneous buying. We want people to purchase things. But the issue is that people then substitute wealth for status. And so we buy things that maybe make us look good or things that we enjoy. There's, and Let's things go with not the millennials, though, from what I'm hearing. Mm-hmm. right? It's the experience for millennials. It's not the product. They don't want that new flashy car. They want the Uber. But, uh, and they also want to go on vacation as opposed to buying or even having a, a house, for, for example, from what I'm hearing anyways. Right. So we have to actually fight our evolutionary tendencies to actually be functional in current environment. I mean, the society that we live in now is not is kind of out of whack with the way that we've evolved over long periods of time. I mean, think about it. People historically died by their mid-30s. You know, mid you go way back. Yep. And here we're living to ripe old ages, but our actual biological neural systems are not designed for us to excel in these situations. So we must adopt cognitive tools and commitments to ourselves, which include simple things like budgets, things like that, to, to actually save ourselves from ourselves and making bad financial decisions in spending or how we invest our assets. So, so what are the, again, based on your studies, what are the big mistakes people make? How do, how do they become their, their, their own worst enemy? So as you mentioned, overtrading is a classic. You see that in among those who do trade stocks. It's not just everyday people. It's not just retail investors. Professionals do it too. Although they have trained out of it to some extent, like you've seen studies, for example, in Korea where those professionals have done a better job than individual investors. But it's something that, that we all struggle with at different levels. This overtrading, this lack of discipline in our trading. Also, what we tend to see is what's called the disposition effect, where people will sell stocks that increased in value, but they will hang on to the ones that are losers. Mm-hmm. What happens is your portfolio suffers because the ones that uh, have increased in value tend to outperform and the ones that lost that have decreased tend to underperform. So that's a... Sorry, I, I want to pump in here because this is timing. We just had the, the, the accountants on. So if you have loss in your portfolio, I'm going to help you because almost this thing is very, very difficult to take a loss and I get it. It is difficult. But let me incent you. If you've taken gains this year, take the loss and reduce your tax bill and you only have a few more days to do. Jack, when's the final day for tax loss selling? Uh, December the 20th. 27th, actually. December 27th. Two-day settlement now. So two-day settlement. So December 27th. So you can call your advisor then. You can do it online then. Or better yet, do it next week and get it over with. Take your loss. Let your winners run. Jesse Livermore 101. 
Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. And actually, it's the year-end the year-end tax reasons that we see a turn in the ratio of losses to gains or people for tax purposes will they'll start to turn. But if it wasn't for taxes, people would still well, I say, Once that. you've taken that loss, you can also look at the market with a clear perspective too, right? As opposed to just focusing on your losers because that's what people do, right? They sit there and look at them, look at them, and they don't deal with them. Now, so, so let's talk then about, about again, we got fear fear and greed, the, the driving emotion is in uh, running money. They, they, they can work with you or work against you. Uh, and, and from there, there are cousins and sisters of those. And I, I'm just doing some, some studies again uh, on Jesse Livermore. Have you read any of his work before? I can't say recently, although I'd, uh, I'd love yeah, to be enlightened yeah, right now. Were, yeah, Jesse Livermore, one of the world's greatest stock traders. Great book was written about him called Reminiscences of a Stock Operator. It is my favorite book on the stock market. Uh, I, I encourage any practitioner to read it. You'd really, really like it. And he studied psychology. He was, a, he was a trader. He actually went back to school and studied psychology to get a better understanding of emotion because he, he took advantage of people's weaknesses in their emotion. Um, so I want to go back now to the, 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 those emotions of fear and greed. In your work, what's more powerful, fear or greed? Well, they're, they're, they're contextual. When you have markets crashing, fear will drive you and you'll act very rapidly. Greed on the upside will make you, make you take more and more risk. Both are, are very damaging to you, although systematically, uh, the fear that drives those rapid, rapid drops, I think, has, creates more of the volatility on the dons- downside. It makes the, uh, the troughs much deeper and much more severe than they should be. Because that, that's balanced. a defensive mechanism kicking in. Absolutely, yeah, it kicks right. in. Survival. So, so, so what's kicking in on the greed side? On the greed side, as we said, People don't have the discipline of saying, oh, I'm going to cut out a 20. It's saying more is good, but even more is even better. I'll tell you what Jesse Livermore says. He says that greed side actually gets back to fear, fear of losing the profit. And that's why people are quick to take that small profit for fear of losing it. Mm-hmm. And Jesse Livermore said, forget it. That's now the, the money given to me by the market. My capital is still in check. As long as you haven't let capital uh, de- 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 depreciate, let it ride unless there's a technical break. So let your winners run cut your losses. Uh, almost look, a real pleasure to have you in the studio. I uh, appreciate the uh, the free lecture uh, on behavioral finance. It's a new science. Very, very few practitioners involved in it. So you certainly have a lot of legs, I think, in terms of your career. You're a young fella. Uh, are you trading crypto, by the way? I am not. I'm Good watching you. closely, though. Good, yeah, you watch it. We'll watch it together. Uh, look, I want to wish you a great weekend, folks. Enjoy your weekend and happy shopping. It's going to be a zoo out there. All the best. Listening to Hi Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle, portfolio managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any money questions you need answered, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. Hi Fi Radio for the love of money. We'll see you next week.